Isn't he a worthy? Amen. He was declared worthy. He paid the price of redemption. We're really happy for that. What a thanksgiving. Amen. God bless each one of you. Brother Branham would say in the message, Who is Jesus? Someone shared this with me today. He said, You see, when you go to praying for somebody, something goes to taking place. There's where we fail, friends, not praying. Prayer is the keynote. Ask and you shall receive. You have not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe not. Ask abundance that your joy may be full. Ask and believe that you receive what you've asked for. Then hold on to it. Don't leave it. If it's a promise in the Bible and it's been revealed to you that God's going to give it to you, hold to it. Amen. There it is. Pray for it and hold on to it. Jesus taught that we should pray and not to faint. Amen. Not give up, in other words. So let's go to prayer this morning and let's just ask him to grace our service with his presence now and speak to us through the word. If you've got a need in your life, maybe something you've been praying about, why don't you just hold on to that right now for that need, for that person, for that situation. Dear Jesus, we bow our heads before your throne of grace. It is there that we find help in our time of need. We thank you that you're healer, deliverer, savior, satisfier, need supplier. We thank you that you're the lifter of our head when our head is down so low that you lift it up, oh God, and cause us to look up for our redemption draweth nigh. The promise of our deliverance draws near. Lord, we thank you for your promises to us. They're yes and amen. Lord, we thank you that you do answer prayer and that you supply every need according to your riches and glory. And we're just asking today that you would just minister the hearts of your children. You know, their needs that they would have in their lives and the situations that each are dealing with, the burdens that each one are bearing. Lord, we pray, oh God, today that you would just lift the heavy load as we cast our cares on you for you care for us. Lord, we pray that you would bless now the word as it goes forth and just anoint it to our hearts. Lord, just speak to each one. I ask, Lord, in a real and living way. And Father, Lord, knowing that when we minister, we want to minister life and health to your people. Lord, we, we don't want to minister something that would be hurtful or harmful. Lord, or something that would be wrong. Lord, we hear of so many times a spirit dropping in, saying things that shouldn't be said, even from the pulpit. Lord, may it not be so. So sanctify our lips today and hide us behind the cross that we would say nothing except something that would be pleasing to you and that would build up and edify your body and strengthen your church the bride of Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. You see those that are not with us today, Lord, you know that where they are. And Father, many of them traveling, no doubt maybe coming home from a Thanksgiving holiday with their loved ones or wherever they are. Some are here from out of town and 
We pray, Lord, for traveling mercies for them as they would go back to their homes. May, Lord, they be able to go back to their homes with their spirits lifted. Lord, and rejoicing in you because you're a living God. Healer, deliverer, satisfying portion. Everything we need and more. In Jesus' name. Bless the word as we read it today. Bless our brother Craig, Lord, is out ministering and use him for your glory in a marvelous way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Man, good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Aren't you glad to be a believer? Amen. Brother L, it's so good to see you and your family today. Amen. We're so happy to have you. Uh, in, in service with us and praying the Lord's blessings, richest blessings upon you. Amen. And upon you and you and you and you and, and well, just upon us all. Amen. Isn't God good? Did you enjoy Thanksgiving this week? I think about Brother Branham saying, oh, what a Thanksgiving. You know, and then he, he ministers along that line of being thankful He said, like the Pilgrim Fathers came to a new land, and they were thankful that God had given them that new land and the freedom of it. And he said, even so, we have returned back to this new land, amen, of the Holy Ghost, and and we are enjoying the benefits of it. I'm glad to be beneficiaries of his covenant today, and, and trusting the Lord will just speak to you in a mighty way. Will you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 17? We're going to read from the 11th verse. I'm sure Brother Timothy mentioned communion foot washing next Sunday, the 1st of December. And um, so there'll be two services then. And, And of course, you know, we have a fellowship dinner together to enjoy and and uh, to be a part of it. So, you know, just look forward to that. Amen. And communion with the Lord. Amen. Fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus. Oh, what joy divine. Amen. So good to have each one of you here. See Brother McNulty back there. And God bless you. Amen. Uh, years ago, spent some time with his grandparents going back and forth to church together. And they hosted me in their homes. And and uh, I, I don't know if I'm old or you're old, but we're, something's happening. Amen. But it's good to have you today. God bless you. Take our greetings and love back to your church and the family. Um, Leviticus 17 and verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And then Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. Let's take us a a New Testament reading here. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no Remission. And that remission, of course, is forgiveness or pardon or of sins, um, letting them go as if they had never been committed, remission of the penalty. Amen. So without the shedding of blood, there is no pardon or forgiveness of sin. 
Then back to the Old Testament again to the book of Exodus chapter 12. And we will see them leaving the land of Egypt. This is verse 21 where that the instructions are given to leave the land of Egypt and go to the promised land. And of course this is very applicable to us today as we are also a people leaving the world of Egypt and the world here and now going in a rapture in a promised land. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 21, then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a, a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lentils and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. What wonderful words of life this morning. Amen. God bless you. you. can be seated. We're going to be turning for another reading over into Revelation 5, and we'll read from there in the 13th verse. But um, as you do, I want to just make some comments as we are, are going to be speaking today on the atonement by blood. Now, we have, we have returned back to this land, and this is what we've been preaching on is the people of the book have returned back to the land of the book. And in order to come back to this land, it was to bring us back to the original atonement. Now, those are Brother Branham's words, original atonement. Not a new atonement, but the original atonement. Not a re-crucifying of Christ, nor is it another blood or another way of, of approach, but it is by the original atonement. And... Um, so now, so we're going to speak this morning on the atonement by blood. Now, the opening of the seals is what we're going to be reading about where the Lamb takes the book. And I have some things to say about that because in this land is where the, the book of title to the land and to every promise of God is being handed back to, to the people of God. And if you'll notice when in our reading that Christ does this as a man, it is a man taking the book. Is there any man that is worthy? So the call came for a worthy man. We were singing that song just a moment ago. I thought it was very appropriate to some of the things that I'm going to speak about this morning. Worthy is the Lamb that, uh, that um, has paid the price of redemption. Now, the opening of the seals does not end the atonement work of Christ. In fact, the taking of the book and the opening of its seals are done by the atoning work of the Lamb. So, to atone means to make restitution. 
And so it's actually the lamb atoning that is making restitution, taking the book of title that Adam lost and bringing it back into the hands of a man again. And by Christ taking it as a man, notice he had it as God. It's not two gods, not two lords. He had it as God, but he became a man to take it as a man for man. And in taking it for a man, he done it for all mankind. So we can say once again that a man is in possession of the title of every promise of God, of the earth and and of man and everything that is inclusive there. Now, so a man is in possession of it. Now, that man is Christ Jesus. Now, of course, he doesn't do it for himself. He had it as God. Amen? But he did it, and, and in order to take it for man, he became a man in order to redeem it for man to give it back to man. This is where that, through his atoning work, that you actually see in Revelation 10, the book that, uh, that uh, John was not worthy to look upon, neither to, um, to take, um, or to even much less to look upon. He, he is told to take it and eat it after the atoning work of the Lamb, or the man Christ Jesus, has been done. So after Christ took it, now then, he made us worthy. So that we too could be a participant in the inheritance. Now, so again, to atone means to make restitution. And that's what the lamb is doing. Making provisions that the book could be opened and then given back to man again. Now, the opening of the book was made possible by the atoning work of the lamb. The advancing of the Lamb to take the book was not Christ leaving the throne, but rather advancing to the throne, or else how, or else how could he take the book? See, he had to take the book from the one sitting on the throne. He takes it from God and brings it back to man again. This is a whole symbology that is being shown in the book of Revelation. So the intercessor, by taking the book, is not ceasing his work of intercessory, but rather completing his work for the Gentile bride because the work of redemption continues on. Now, we're going to find out here in a bit how long this work of of redemption continues because he will continue his work of redemption then as the gospel goes from Um, the Gentiles to the Jews. So he's still doing a work of redemption, even after the Gentiles have been secured away and raptured and taken, um, taken into glory, then he is still doing his redeeming work. I want you just to see he is still redeemer. Taking the book loose in its seals does not cause him to relinquish his atoning work. Neither does it cause him to relinquish his priesthood because he continues to be the high priest that can be touched by the feelings of our infirmity and continues to be the intercessor between God and man. Now, redemption may be coming to a close or maybe may be coming close to being finished for the Gentiles, but redemption is far from over. Redemption is an ongoing work. 
that continues until the earth itself is redeemed and restored back to its Eden condition again. So as long as the, the earth is not in its Eden condition, and now, uh, man, you may be in your soul, but your body's still far from it. You're not back in the Eden condition yet. The earth itself is not back in the Eden condition. And as long as the earth is not in Eden condition, he is still redeemer. He is still savior. He is still restorer. He is still the priest. Now, as we, as we look at this, when the, when the scene of Revelation 5 is finished, and here we're looking at it right now. When the scene of Revelation 5 is finished, all creation is worshiping God. Now, that's not the, con- the condition that we're in right now. Creation is groaning, travailing in pain. Your bodies are groaning, travailing in pain. There's sickness, sorrow, pain, death, all kinds of things that are happening right now because all creation is struggling. And is groaning, but there's going to come a time when all creation will worship God. Amen. Now, this this of course is um, is a time that still lays out in the future. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out is because many people take Revelation five, the breach, as being a moment and a twinkling and an event, something that occurred or maybe um, in 1963, perhaps they want to put a date to it there when the when the seals was open. But that is not true because this is a process of redemption. It is not a moment twinkling of our event. It begins with one sitting on the throne with the book in its hand. It shows the scene of redemption of a slain lamb taking the book and it finishes here wherever all creation worships God. So you see, Revelation 5 is not a moment twinkling of an eye event. It is a process which has many different steps in its parts of redemption. In fact, uh, Revelation 5 begins, with, uh, begins over in Revelation 4 where one is sitting on the throne. That's God. And then he has a book in his hand. He, he got it back from Adam when Adam fell. It had to go back in the hands of Almighty God. So you see its beginning is long before Calvary. And its ending is, is even after all the ages is over. So if you see every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said amen and, all, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. So you can see it, it begins with a question book and then it, it 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 also goes right into the redeemer and his work and it it goes right on until all creation is worshiping god now so now um here is a scene of the redeemer at work let's go to revelation 5 now in verse 1 revelation 5 in verse 1 And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming 
with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now notice, he, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. He is the lion. He is the king. The king prevailed, and the way he prevailed was becoming a lamb. There are not two gods here. Amen. This is why it shows in the symbology a lamb, and he's got seven horns, seven eyes, and eyes before and behind, and so on like that. He's a very odd-looking thing. Jesus is not a woolly lamb. He's not a funny-looking creature. He's a man. But this is symbology or symbolic of his redemption work. Where the king becomes the lamb. Where the lion becomes the lamb. Let's look at this real close. So, and and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood." Notice now, redemption is by blood. And how does he redeem? How does he pay this price? It's by his own blood. Amen. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Boy, that gives us all a chance. This is not just for Jews and Gentiles. This is not for colors and nationalities. Amen. This is for God's people of every race, kindred, tongue, people. Aren't you glad to serve a God like that? Amen. Notice, and he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I, I, held, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then all of creation breaks out into praise. Amen. Because once the redemption has been finalized and the king of the earth that fell is restored back to his position, then the earth gets restored. In fact, that's what we are seeing in the millennium is the king and the queen ruling together. Amen. For that thousand years creating an Eden upon the earth. It'll be a time of the feast of, of tabernacles. 
Amen. Where, we'll, where we will remember our journeyings here upon the earth. Notice what he said, redeemed by that blood. Notice he is Lion of Judah, and that is symbolic of his kingship. But did you notice he did not take the book as a king? As a king, he's sitting on the throne. But he takes it as a lamb because that is symbolic of his redemption work. Amen. So he does it not as a king, but as a lamb, which is a priest. So this is his priesthood work. Amen. This is his, this is his work of redemption. The take in the book is showing his final work of intercession. And his final work of intercession with the Gentiles is taking his bride into a rapture. Amen. Amen. Now, as long as there's one soul that hasn't been redeemed and their name dipped in blood, are you with me now? He is still the priest, still the intercessor, still the redeemer. Amen. And he does it by his blood. Notice this. He does not do it any other way. It's not a redemption by faith. It's not an atonement of faith. Faith cannot make an atonement for you. Only the blood can make an atonement. We can apply it by faith, but it first must be the blood applied by faith. Now, but he does not take the book as a king, but he does it as the priest or the lamb. Now, the taking of the book is showing his final work of redemption and and intercession by rapturing his church. It is all a part of his claiming work. It's the Lamb's work. He first purchases us, amen, that's his purchasing work, which he done at Calvary. Then he continues right on, and, and here he has been interceding for us. Through, throughout all of these years, and he's still interceding. How in the world do you think prayers can be, can be received? You see, he doesn't stop interceding because he starts claiming. Amen? But no, you know, his purchasing made a way for his, for his um, intercession work, and his intercession work makes a way for his claiming work. And to claim a work means to rapture a bride out of here. Now, so the, the lamb is symbolic and it represents his work as kinsman redeemer where the king, the lion, became our sacrifice. And it is his work of kinsman wherein he takes the book and opens it. Notice, he does it as a man. Is there a man worthy? The book represents the redeemed. Now, you know, we get a lot of different pictures of this. Because we fail sometimes to realize that the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. It's rich in symbols. And so it's showing a drama or, or a scene. And so, you know, there, there, there's, really, there's really not two gods up there. One on the throne and one over here is a lamb. No, that's, that's the wrong conclusion. That's just showing what he did. The king became the lamb. Amen. But he doesn't do it as a woolly lamb. It's not a, it's not a lamb going up with hooves and reaching up and with his, with his hooves there and taking this. And he's a woolly lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. No, that's only symbolic of his priesthood 
and his redemption work. Now, so again, the book itself, uh, we, we picture maybe it's a big leather-bound book. You know, does it have a goat skin on the outside or does it have, uh, you know, uh, um, is it a cow's skin? Is it tan leather? Or what, what, what is this book? Of course, you know, we, we think of it as a book and it's really a scroll. Amen. And it's sealed with seven seals. But it's not, it's not a book per se it, that is symbolic of the people that he is redeeming. Amen. So in reality, in taking the book, he has taken a people to himself. Because the believers are the names in the book. And the book is only symbolizing them in this scene as who God is redeeming. Aren't you glad your name is in the book? Amen. Because that's the book, the believer. Now, so the book represents the redeemed. And when he literally takes that book, that is the physical translation of the bride. Amen. Now, let's just, let's just look back for a moment in history. You know, when John turned to see a lion, he didn't see one. What did he see? He saw a lamb. Now, really, what we are seeing here is Melchizedek, priest and king. Because the priest is also a king. The king is also a priest. And the same God that created the heavens and the earth is the same God that stepped down in the human flesh and became the son or the offspring of his creation. And God comes and dwells in his, the body that he makes. Not two gods at all, not two lords, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, one Creator. Not many, not two, not three, one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. But he puts it here as a symbol because it's symbolizing his work as a man. Now, as, as John looks to, and he see, turns to see a lion, as I said, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. It, it reminds me of Esther. You know, Esther was afraid to go in to see the king. She had heard all the stories of if he's not pleased with you while you die, if you interrupt his business, he can judge you and send you to death. You know, uh, it was very, very fearsome to her, fearful to her, for her to go in to see the king. But, you know, she had heard all her, all her, her life about this king and how, how angry he could be at being disrupted in his business and how anybody who come in without, without permission and, and interrupted his court would be sent to death. And she worried and worried and worried and was reluctant to go before the king. But when she went before the king, she didn't see a king. She didn't see this lion. She saw a lamb. And the lamb said, Esther, here it is. Here's my scepter. You're welcome in my presence. Amen. Here, here it is. Come on in. What do you want? Even half the kingdom. Amen. In other words, you're heir and join heir with me. 
So when she approached the throne, she never saw a lion. She saw a lamb. Oh, God, isn't that wonderful for you today to know is that the bride of Christ, you do never see the judgment side of God. You never see his anger. You never see his wrath. You never see his judgments. But when you come into his presence, you see a lamb. Hallelujah, a lamb that says, welcome, come on in. I'll give you half the kingdom. I share with you all that I got. All that I have is yours. What a wonderful thing to know that we can approach him as a lamb. Amen. Now, I'm going to read a, a quotation that, that causes sometimes a lot, of, a lot of people to get confused because Again, they want to make all of this a moment twinkling of an eye event. And as I've showed you in the scripture, Revelation 5 is not a moment twinkling eye event. It is a process of redemption. And so, Brother Branham would tell us in the breach, he said, he leaves the throne of intercessor as a slain lamb to be a lion king, to bring the world to judgment who has rejected his message, he's not a mediator. Remember the Old Testament teaching now as we hurry, when the blood went off the mercy seat, what was it? Judgment seat. And when the lamb slain walked forward from eternity out of the Father's throne and took his rights, it was a judgment seat. Then he become not a lamb, but a lion king. And he calls for his queen to come stand by his side. Know ye not the saints shall judge the earth. Now, I want to just say to you, we are in the process of fulfillment. As he says, he leaves the throne of to be an intercessor as a slain lamb, to be a lion king, to bring the world to judgment who has rejected his message. He is not a mediator. Now, let me just say it out flat. That hasn't happened yet. Amen. Although we're in the process of its fulfillment, it hasn't happened yet. But the world will be judged and plagued, and Satan will be bound a thousand years. It will happen. He is coming king. He's not king yet. Now, he's king of saints, but he's not king of this world. Jesus even would have to give place and say to, to, to say of Satan, he's the prince of this world. You will see in the tribulation, he will reign for a short time during the tribulation. Be full, as Brother Branham calls him, full king of the earth. Right now, Jesus is not the king of the earth. That's why you know, we cannot blame Jesus for all the crippled children, the blind eyes, uh, the old people that are dying and sickness and disease and war and strife because Jesus is not the king. Amen. If he were king, then he would be responsible for what's going on in his kingdom. When Jesus comes king, there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more crippled children, no more evil, no more sin. Somebody help me preach. When he is king, he'll take control over the earth. When he becomes king on your heart, he, there's no more sin. There's no more wickedness. 
There's no more evil in your life. Come on, somebody, because he became the king in your life. When he becomes king of the earth, amen, Satan's reign will be over because he'll be bound a thousand years. He'll take him around and grab him by the neck and throw him into a pit and chain him with circumstances. Uh, and and there, there will be a time of freedom, a millennial peace upon the earth. But right now, peace is gone from the earth. Why? Because Satan is the prince of the power of this atmosphere. Amen? But the world will be judged and plagued, and Satan will be bound a thousand years. The whore, the false church, will be judged and burnt. But before she is, a people is called out. Let's, let's look over here, Revelation 18 and verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacy. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sin, that you receive not of her plagues. So look, before she's plagued, God calls the people out. Amen. Now listen, church, he has called the people out, but he's calling the people out. He is still presently today calling a people out. He is presently today calling for a queen to come stand by his side. Amen. Amen. It's all in the process. Don't put a period to it. Amen, because I'll tell you, many of you, if a period was put where they wanted to put it many years ago, anybody born after a certain year couldn't make it in. Because men have tried to be, play God and want to bring an end to redemption and close the door on all the others and laugh and, and make fun, you know, of those that are on the outside. Let me tell you, friends, that ain't Christ. Amen. That ain't the spirit of Christ. That is not the bride. The spirit and the bride say, come. And whoever's thirsty, come and drink of the water of life freely. Amen. But I heard another voice in verse 5 said, her sins like Sodom have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquity. Now listen, Brother Branham. He explains this. This angel is the last messenger before the coming of Christ in Revelation 19 chapter of, of Revelation. The messenger's voice, if we notice, when he gave his voice on earth, there was a voice echoed again in heaven. Fourth verse, if you want to read it. All right, fourth verse, the 19th chapter. This messenger on the earth was so inclined with God, when he spoke it on the earth, God echoed it from heaven. And he said, what is the fourth trans, uh, translation, verse translation, what does it mean? God's voice speaking to his predestinated people saying, come out of her. 
Just exactly what the voice was. He got a people all out there, all out through Babylon. Come out of her that you be not partakers of her sin. Yes, sir. Out of that dogma and creeds to the word made spirit in life. Amen. Notice the 19th chapter is the next. After these things. Did you notice here in the 19th chapter? After these things. Watch. What? After what? After the message of come out of her, after these things is the shout of the bride saints with the bridegroom going to the marriage of the Lamb. How close are we then, brothers? Amen. How close are we then? We have heard the call that says come out of her. That's why you're here this morning. You heard that call. Come out of Babylon. Come out of confusion. Come out of Nimrod's towers. Amen. Come out of creeds of man. Come back to the word. Get back to the homeland. What was that? A a shout, a a trumpet sound. Amen. A voice ringing out, calling his elect back to the homeland again. Now, that is still going out today as we prophesy again. It still rings out. It's still going out. It's going out from this church. It's going to out from every believer across the world. Come out of her, my people. It's screaming out to your heart today. Come out of the lukewarmness. Come out of sin and unbelief. Come on in to Christ. Get in there. The plagues are coming. Don't be just a little cold church member. You know, just don't just be content to sit on even a message pew. Get into Christ. Get in with all your heart. Put everything you got into it. His call is still going out. But he, let me say it again, he has not yet become king of the earth. He will do this in the millennial reign. Now, let me just read it again. When the blood went off the mercy seat, what was it? Remember, this whole thing of Revelation 5 is a process, not a moment in a twinkling of eye event. It's showing the scene of redemption. Now, when the lamb slain walked forth forward from eternity out of the Father's throne and took his rights, it was a judgment seat. Then he, he become not a lamb, but a lion king. And he calls for his queen to come stand by his side. Know ye not the saints shall judge the earth. Now, first of all, let's look at this. The throne is not yet a judgment seat. It is still a seat of mercy. And it will be until every name that is on the book has been cleansed by blood. Amen. Amen. Now, in trying to do God a service without it being his will, this is a Jeff sermon in, uh, in 65, one of Brother Branham's last sermons. When then, in them days, they only had one meeting place they could meet God, and that was at the ark under the blood. And that's the only meeting place yet. See, it's unchanged. Remember, it's not making a new atonement. Amen. And, and a new atonement won't be made for Israel either. It's going to get them to recognize the atonement. And again, this is not a new atonement that God brings us to, but it is us recognizing what was in the atonement. Amen. If you could recognize it this morning, there wouldn't be a sick person left. 
Amen. We would all be healed and delivered and saved. And Amen. If we could just recognize what's in the atonement. It's paid for. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to labor again. Amen. It's all paid for. It's in the atonement. The price has been paid. You ought to look at your adversary, the devil, and shake your finger in his face and say, the price for my healing, the price for my family, the price has all been paid. It's been paid with blood. Amen. With the blood of God himself. Paid it. Now take your hands off of what belongs to me. Amen. That's the only meeting place yet under the blood. Mercy seat was sprinkled to give mercy to the worshiper or the asker when he came to ask the petition of God. And God had a special routine, the way you had to go about it. He wouldn't accept anything else. He wouldn't accept any other provision, just the way he fixed it. And then he continues to go on to explain, as Brother Branham uh, would call even in another sermon, that Jesus is God's mercy seat. And how that Jesus is God's chosen place of worship. And under his shed blood is the only place that we can worship. Now, God made sure that we would understand the provisions from, uh, for mercy from the mercy seat. His end-time messenger to us would preach to us and said, A God who is rich in mercy. I want to submit to you, the opening of the seals did not take away mercy. It gave a greater mercy. Amen. It revealed a God rich in mercy. He would preach a sermon called pardoned. Amen. Well, if there's no one on the mercy seat, you can't get pardoned. But if you got a merciful God who is still in the saving business, amen, come on, then you can be pardoned. But you got to believe that he is, not that he was. Because if you believe he was and not is today, then you can never get a pardon. Now, Brother Branham would tell us, he said, but you see in this book what was redeemed. It was a book of redemption. And everything that he had redeemed was written in that book. All he died for was written in the book. And he could not leave his mediatorial seat until he had thoroughly redeemed. And he couldn't redeem it at the cross because they were predestinated in the Lamb's book of life. And he had to stay on there to make intercession until that last person was finished. Glory. Amen. Oh, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad, friends, it reached down to you? Amen. Brother Jared, just a few weeks ago, months ago now, what happened? Mercy came, rewrote your life. Amen. He could not come until you came in. Amen. Now we're still looking for the next one whose name is in the book of life. Amen. The bride is saying, whosoever will. Amen. And you might have been a believer of sorts and a sympathizer with the message for years and years. And, and you've languished out there in the world and over all, for years and years and years. But I tell you, God is not just a God of one chance. He's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth 
chances. He's a God who is rich in mercy, who will not give up. He'll stay there. No matter how many preachers have put him off, he'll stay there. Until that last one. Amen. Amen. I don't know when it's going to happen that it turns to a judgment seat. But it hadn't yet. Because I still see mercy. I still see the high priest at work. Amen. I still see him heal. I still see him deliver. I still see him set free. Come on. I still see him liberate souls. So I know he's still the high priest. Now, Brother Branham would preach sermons like the unveiling of God and the mighty God unveiled. And and he would tell us that the unveiling of God would reveal the true mercy seat. Now, what it did, like in the days of Israel, it, it, it rent the veil of traditions and showed there was no God there in, in Phariseeism and Judaism, that there was not, nothing there. It was just empty. Are you with me? Amen. God does the same thing in this end time. He rents the veil of tradition and shows that there's no God there, that there's nothing that will rapture a church in denominational traditions. Amen. But, but it, doesn't say, it doesn't remove the mercies of God. In fact, it shows a greater mercy seat. And we have a greater mercy seat, like Israel did, greater than the woolly lamb. And we have a greater mercy seat than even the justification or sanctification or gifts of the Spirit and seats of mercy that was in denomination. We've got a greater mercy seat with not less mercy, but more mercy. In fact, the opening of the seals, did it give us more mercy or less? Well, look at it. It showed there's a bride in the rapture. But that's not all. A multitude without number, saved in the tribulation. That's a God rich in mercy. 144,000 Jews. Amen. Even souls under the altar. They didn't even have the testimony of Jesus and are given white robes. Mercy. Mercy. Amen. We found that there was a God with more mercy than what we ever imagined. Amen. We, we, we thought it was all about us and it was all about him and his redeeming plan. That he had a bride and then he had a church and then he had a foolish virgin. Are you with me? And then he had, then he had 144,000 and he had, he had their souls on the altar. He had them all and they were all their names were in his book. And when he opens it, he shows there's mercy for all. And the unveiling of God showed us a mercy seat. Not what's in denomination, but the original mercy seat. The original atonement. Now, yes, they had parts. And those parts... Get them into the tribulation. Some of them go into life. But friends, with the full mercy seat come in view, you get a rapture. That's a God rich in mercy. Are you with me now? Now, so you see, 
when the veil of traditions are taken away, then the mercy seat comes into plain view. Yes, it shows the emptiness of forms and dogmas and man's religions. But at the same time, it would show beyond the veil of traditions of Judaism was the lamb slain. And the same thing happens for us in our day. When, the, when, the, when God was unveiled before us, when the mighty God unveiled himself to this generation, he showed the emptiness. They meant the emptiness of all the forms of religion. But he showed there upon, for the bride, there is a mercy seat. Amen. In fact, of the matter, the, the mercy seat is advancing to take the book of redemption and to finish what was started at Calvary. This is awesome, church. Amen. Now, so he says, so again, he said, now the veil was rent at Calvary. The mercy seat came in the plain view, but what happened? It was hanging on Calvary, dripping in blood. In the unveiling of God, he said, God wanted to show them the mercy seat. God wanted to show them who he was. So the veil in the temple from the hand of God above was rent from top to bottom and showed God in plain view. It was Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, the mercy seat. Amen. You say, well, there's no more mercy seat. Then there's no more Jesus. Because he is the mercy seat. The mercy seat ain't a piece of furniture. The mercy seat is a person. Somebody help me preach. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is God's seat of mercy. Amen. The book is not a letter bound book. The book is a people. The lamb is a person. The mercy seat is Jesus. And if you ever get a view of Jesus, oh my. Amen. If you ever get him come in plain view, amen. Right now on this side of eternity, you're going to see a lamb. Amen. Who says, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take your yoke upon me. It's easy. And my burdens are light. What a mighty God we're serving. What a God rich in mercy. Now, he said it was Jesus hanging on the cross, the mercy seat. What was it? The people were too blind to see it. And it's repeated again. Their traditions. How then? The day of Pentecost, the word came and it was in the form of Son of God. They began to organize it at Nicaea, Rome. And first thing, they went to Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, so forth. And it organized tradition until a man don't know where he stands. But glory to God, he promised in the last days what he would do. He would show his word in plain view. What word? The word of his mercy. Let me ask you, what in the world do you think the rapture is? It's the word of his mercy. It's the word of great grace. It's a capstone coming crying, grace, grace, to finish everything off. A God rich in mercy. This is why Brother Branham was asked the question, is mercy over? He said, oh, mercy, goodness, don't you ever think that. 
You'll have to go against the words of the prophet of God himself to think mercy is over. Our mercy is only in your corner. Mercy is not in your corner. Mercy's in Christ. And you may think you got all of Jesus, but it's more important that he's got all of you. Amen. Now notice, he, he, he would show his word in plain view. Open before us again, open it up. Then and only then he calls for his queen to come stand by his side. Now let me just read that in context again. And when the lamb slain walked forward from eternity out of the father's throne and took his rights, it was a judgment seat. Then he become not a lamb but a lion king and he calls for his queen to come by his side, come stand by his side. Know ye not this saints shall judge the earth? Now, has this happened? Has he called his queen to come stand by his side? Now, it's in the works. It's in the plan. But I agree with what you were saying. It hadn't happened. Amen. Now notice he will not become king until he reigns as son of David. Are you with me now? This is where he comes in his three sons' name. He comes as prophet, priest, and king. Son of man, son of God, son of David. And, and now he won't become king until the millennial reign. And he has not come. He has not come as Revelation 19. So while the word has come, and that's him on the white horse. Brother Branham never applied that there. He always applied that in the future. So stay with what the prophet said. Amen. He will come to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And when he does, will be the battle of Armageddon and then the destruction of the enemy and Satan will be bound. And then he will reign with his bride. Amen. But he, he now what's the term? He calls for his queen to come stand by his side. Now, it can't happen. Now, listen, his queen. Who is his queen? First, let's define who is his queen. Is his queen only the living bride? Well, what about those who just went on before us? Are they not his queen? Somebody help me preach now. I'm making a point. Amen. Think about it now. What about some of those? What about Brother Jerry Shaw that we just laid as a seed in a garden? Was he not his queen? What about Brother Branham? Was he not a part of the bride? Let's go back. What about Daddy Bosworth? Smith Wigglesworth? John G. Lake, John Wesley, Martin Luther. What about Paul? Now, wasn't all of that his queen? So for him to call for his queen to come stand by his side means for there to be a resurrection of the dead and a rapture of the church to come stand by his side. So, well, well, spiritually, okay, but spiritually, Jerry Shull did. Spiritually, William Branham did. Spiritually, John G. Lake did. Spiritually, John Wesley did. 
Everyone took his side, stood by his side. So he has not called for his queen yet. Spiritually, brother, okay, but friends, let's realize this. How far in the world are you going to go with all this spiritual stuff? When we spiritualize it and we do away with actually what the prophet's talking about. He is not talking about a spiritual application. He said the queen. And the queen is of seven ages. And when that queen is called to stand by his side, there's a resurrection. And when the resurrection takes place and a rapture takes place, then he begins and turns from, from, from priest to judge. And not another Gentile will be saved. But then he'll continue his priesthood with the Jews. So now his queen is of seven ages. Both the living and the dead in Christ. This is the resurrection and the rapture. It is the trumpet call. I want you to watch those words. The trumpet call saying, come up hither. In the meantime, in the meantime, in other words, before the rapture takes place in his promised resurrection, he is still the lamb. And as lamb, he is still the high priest. That is his work of lamb. Now, again, when we talk about symbology in the Bible, you have the eagle is symbolic of his prophetic office. The lion is symbolic of his kingship. And the lamb is symbolic of his priesthood. So it's prophet, priest, and king. Now, looking at this, Brother Branham would tell us in God's chosen place of worship about, you know, he decided how he would save man. Now, remember, we're coming back to the original atonement. The, the two prophets of Revelation 11 do not introduce them a new atonement. They, enter, they, they introduce to them to the original atonement. Jesus' death at Calvary. We'll read about it if I have time. But now the same thing happens with the prophet of Malachi 4 under the seventh seal message. It, it does not introduce us to a new atonement but back to the original atonement. And the original atonement was blood. Not my blood, not your blood. That wouldn't work. Amen? But God's own blood. Now, of course, he would use blood until the man could come. The blood of animals, an innocent animal until the man could come. But once the man came, no blood of any animal will, will work as a sacrifice. It will not atone. And it would only atone in part because those who would die under that blood of animals would go to a place called paradise, which Jesus would pay the price of redemption and empty. Amen? Because it would take the blood of Christ to bring forth full redemption. Now, in God's chosen place of worship, Brother Branham said he decided how he would save man. We've tried to, they to educate man into it. We've tried to school them. we tried to educate them, tried to denominate, tried to do these other kind of things, bring them in, shake them in, baptize them in, and every other way there is, bring them in by letters, but still remains the same 
God meets man under the shed blood of the lamb. Blood was God's way in the beginning, and blood is God's way tonight. It is good to do penance and all these things, but salvation only comes through blood. Blood is the only way God chose to save man, and he cannot change it. Job had the same thing. He knew that he was righteous because he had offered the sacrifice God required of him. So now, God's chosen place of worship, as we know, is not in a church. It's not even in a movement. It's not even in a certain doctrine. God's chosen place of worship is in Christ. Now, again, it's the place where the blood is. Now, as Brother Branham would say, now look at another type. We're along here, the type of the Passover foreshadowed Jesus. We notice here the sacrifice of blood by death. The sacrifice of blood was a place that foreshadowed Christ. Can a denomination bleed? Can you think of a church bleeding? A denominational bleeding? Certainly not. It had taken the blood to bleed from a life. And the life here, Jesus comes in view by the Lamb. The Lamb was a type of Christ, foreshadowed Christ, because he was the Lamb of God that John introduced that takes away the sin of the world. And we find Jesus coming to view here in the Exodus, the 12th chapter. Notice, it was the only place death could not strike. Get this, get this, because it's important. There's a place of mercy, but there's also a place of judgment. Outside of that, mercy is judgment. Now, when death was about to strike the land, there had to be a certain place. All from under this died. Only one place. Now, I didn't mean it was one house, but it was one place, and that's where the lamb was killed. Where the lamb's blood was, the death angel could not strike because it was the place God put his name. And that lamb was named back there in the beginning, a lamb. And notice it's in the the one place he could not strike. And now that's the same it is today. Notice this. He brings us right over to today. What is required today? There's only one place that spiritual death cannot strike. That's the word. Death cannot strike the word because it's the living word of God. But when you put creeds with it, the word moves out to itself. It'll separate like water from oil. You cannot mix it together. Therefore, you see, when the creeds come down and comes into a denomination, they all go into after the creed and the word dies out and goes on with somebody else and increases it more. Picks up the momentum as it goes from justification, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and on out into the grain. You see the path God has trod. Bring in his name all the time, right down the same because he is the word. Notice it cannot die. The word of life cannot die. Notice how perfect the death angel was not forbidden to strike Egypt's great intellectual people. It wasn't forbidden to strike its sacred lands or its great buildings or its pharaohs. Or its priest of the land, the angel was not forbidden to strike. He could strike any building, any place, anybody, but it could not strike where the lamb was. Death cannot strike 
where this provided place of God is, and that's in the Lamb. Notice now, if he's no longer Lamb, you have no place of grace. You have no place of safety. Because only where the Lamb is. So, well, Brother Tim, he's not Lamb anymore. He's just only lying. Well, then there's no more grace. You have no place of mercy. And you missed the rapture. Sorry, because there's no mercy. The, mercy, the, the rapture itself is a judgment of sorts. He takes one and leaves one. Church, wherever you are, What you belong to makes me no different. But there's one thing you must know. You've got to be in Christ or you're dead. And remember what he said. It's the lamb. You've got to be under the lamb and the lamb's blood or you're dead. You can't live outside of him. Your church might be all right as a building. Your fellowship might be all right as a man. But when you deny, what's now? This is very crucial. When you deny the body... The blood, the word of Jesus Christ, you're dead the minute you do it. It is God's chosen place of worship. I'm reading it. There's where he put his name. There's where his name is exactly. There's where he chose to put his name. Not in the church, but in the son, Jesus Christ. Notice safety laid Lied only in the place of his choosing, in his lamb, and in the name of the lamb. Notice it was a male lamb, a he, not a her, not a church, she, but his name. Now, you know, we got people today want to put, put mercy in, in the bride, that she, she's the seed of mercy. His name is not in she, it's in him. Amen. Listen, you cannot come under the spirit of this age and take the job of the man and put it on the woman. Amen. The the woman, are you with me now? The bride cannot take the lamb's place. We will never, you can never hand intercessory to a mortal man. Intercessory between God and man is the man, Christ Jesus. And so you get the, you try to get the bride doing the husband's work. Now, sure, she is his body upon the earth. And when she prays, God intercedes. Christ intercedes. Amen. We're his body. That just struck me, you know, as I read this quote today uh, about how important prayer is. You know, sometimes we don't see the importance of it. There's thousands and millions of needs. And God opens your eyes to needs upon the earth. As a part of his body. Amen. You see the needs of your brother, your sister. You take them before God and you pray. Amen. What are you doing? You're, you're bringing them to the attention of the Lord. Amen. You're interceding on their behalf. But that does not, that does not negate or take away from his intercession. Now, because over and again... After the seals was open, Brother Brandon said, see, I'll show you he's still the high priest. And he can still be touched. He would preach a sermon. Who is this Melchizedek? 
And after he would get through preaching, who is this Melchizedek? Melchizedek is among us. He said, okay, then you can touch him. Not by touching me. Notice, notice, not by touching me. I'm not the intercessor, but by touching him. Isn't it wonderful this morning? You don't have to come through a preacher to touch him. You don't have to come through a pope or a bishop to touch him. Amen. You can touch the high priest. Amen. All you got to do is press through the crowd. Get down humble. Touch the hem of his garment. Stoop way down. Humble yourself down and touch the hem of his garment. And he'll turn him to you for virtue to be released back to your need. No pope, no bishop, no in-between, no preacher. Amen. It's you and Jesus. But men want to have power today in their hands to forgive sins and hold back sins and whatever else. We, We got the power. Yeah, we do. The church, whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. But how do we release sin? By getting them to do exactly what they did in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. We have the power to remit sin. By what? Bringing people to repentance and baptism in his name. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. But don't turn this back into Catholicism. Notice he was a male lamb. A he, not a her. Not a church. She. But his name, not her name, where he was going to meet the people was not in her name, but in his name, him, the lamb. Amen. Now we say the church, the great mighty church. She did this, she did that. She weighed the storms. We picked up in population. We're great numbers. We're mighty church. She did great things. God never said anything about a she. He said him. Him is the meeting place, the Lamb, not the church. Not her, but his name. He didn't put her name anywhere. He put his name and him. That's why all we do, our word, our deed, we must do all in the name of Jesus Christ. If we pray, we got to pray in the name of Jesus. If we walk, we walk in Jesus' name. If we talk, we talk in Jesus' name. If we baptize, we got to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. For all we do in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So in proving his word, proving his word, he says, do you believe it? If so, reach out by faith and touch his garment. Because he's passing this way. Oh, my. I believe he'll pass right by this way in this service this morning. I believe he's here to heal every sick, to save every lost. Amen. To, to, to show his work of redemption, that he still heals. We've seen him do it. Amen. We've seen him do extraordinary things. We've seen the cancers healed. Amen. We've seen the brain bleeds healed. We've seen the cripples walk. We've seen the kidneys restored. Come on. We, we've seen the eyes that have been healed. Over and over and over, we've seen him. 
as the high priest. Amen. That he come among us and we touched him. You can touch him this morning. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's passing this way. He's a high priest. According to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, 4th chapter and 15th verse, he is a high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Do you believe that? I'm asking you this morning, do you believe that? Amen. Then, then he reach out and touch the Lord. He, he is ever present. Lo, I'm with you always. Look down to the ages. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Now, if you belong to a church that don't believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the same in every way, get away from it. That's your prophet's instruction. I think it's pretty good advice. I have to say amen to it. Amen, because we ought to believe he's the same in every detail except for his corporal body. Amen. The Bible said Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a high priest sitting there making intercession upon our confessions. He, we have to confess it first before he can be a high priest because he only intercedes to our confession. Is that right, minister, brethren? The minister say amen. And he only intercedes upon our confession, what we confess that he is and what he has done for us, not he will do. He's already done it. We have to confess that he's done it. He was wounded for our transgressions. With his stripes, we were healed. What are we confessing? It's paid for. It belongs to me then. Healing is mine. He paid for it. Victory is mine. He paid for it. I can have victory over this depression. I can rise up above this hurt. I can rise up above the confusion of the age because I have a high priest that I can touch. Who release his virtues, strength to me. The oddball sermon in Jefferson Beyond 64. You know God made this promise in the last day. He made a promise. Now I can't make it happen. I cannot do that. He has to do that. He's the one who does it, not me. But believe in him. Or I wouldn't be standing here telling you something I didn't believe in. Now Brother Brandon makes a statement. I wouldn't be standing here telling you something that I didn't believe in. Now, you pray and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm taught in the Bible. I wonder who taught that. I wonder whose teaching this is. Brother Brandon said, I wouldn't say it unless I believed it. And then he said, you pray, Lord, we're taught in the Bible. I wonder who was teaching this. Wasn't that a message in this day? Amen. Now, you pray, say, Lord Jesus, I'm taught in the Bible. You're a high priest right now. That can be touched by the feelings of our infirmity. I don't care where you are. Just You just say, I believe you. And by faith, I believe what that man said today. That's what the angel told me. Get the people to believe you. And if I tell the word of God, it ain't believe me. It's believe the word. So apparently, Hebrews 4 is still in effect. That he's still the high priest that can be touched. He's still the one that we go to. The intercessor between God and man. Now, 
Let me just say, if it ain't with the word, I'm quoting now, then don't believe it, but you believe it's the word, and then whatever it is, you pray and believe and see if he will reveal what's in your heart. Now, let me just tell you, say, there is no such a thing as an atonement of faith. There is only an atonement of blood. That blood is applied by faith like the blood was applied by hyssop. But hyssop alone would not make the intercession. And faith alone will not make an intercession. There has to be blood applied by faith. Not faith alone. Now, so you see that blood is applied by faith. But it's faith in the shed blood. Now, there's never been, I just wanted to say it, there's never been a time in human history where sins could be remitted without the shedding of blood. Not one example in the scripture. All the way from Adam until now, it's based upon the blood that was shed. So, well, now wait a minute, Brother Tim. Jesus, how did Jesus forgive sin before his blood was shed? Well, how did he forgive sin all through the Old Testament? Through the blood of a sacrifice. Amen? He would often say to the people, your sins are forgiven. Listen, Jesus, before Calvary, was a high priest. John said, there's the Lamb of God. Amen? He was a high priest, and he, as Jehovah God, forgave sins based on the blood of innocent lambs. That was his accepted sacrifice until the day he died at Calvary. After Calvary, as high priest, he forgave sins based on the shedding of his own blood. Amen. Now, let's, look in, let's just look at the scripture. Let's take some Bible. Uh, Acts 20, 28. Because if we're going to believe something, it's got to have Bible, Bible to back it up, right? Amen. Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice it was how, how does he, how does he um, uh, purchase the flock? He does it with his own blood. Notice again, Hebrews 9 and verse 12. By his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Again, by his own blood. Amen. By his own blood, he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. All right, now verse 13. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Notice again, sanctification, making you holy, only comes by his shed blood. Revelation 1 and 5. And from Jesus Christ, who's the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the king of the earth, 
uh, unto, her, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. What? In his own blood. You see, you know, if, if, if it could be faith without blood, then it would have been unnecessary for Jesus to even die at Calvary. All you'd have to do is just have faith. That's all we need to do is get people just to believe. And now then, Jesus would never, it was, it was unnecessary. But you see, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Before Calvary, he, the blood was shed by animals. Amen. An accepted sacrifice. After Calvary, by his own blood. Somebody help me preach. Amen. So you see, if it could be with, by faith without blood, then it was unnecessary for Jesus to die at all. Why go to Calvary? Why suffer? When all we have to do is just believe. Not necessary, Jesus, for you to die. Oh, we, we just believe, you know, that our sins are gone and, and we just accept that forgiveness. No, there had to be something paid the price. There had to be something eradicate sin. Is somebody with me? Now, in the future home, Brother Brandon would say it this way. His plan of redemption is exactly the same by everything. He uses the same method. He never changes. He said in Malachi 3, I am God, I change not. The way he does it, therefore, if he saved the first man he ever saved by the shed blood of an innocent one, he'll have to save the next, and everyone he saves will have to be the same way. If he healed a man at any time through the journey of life, let it be in the days of Jesus. Now, healing is salvation on the body. Right? Amen. So, the salvation on the soul, of course, is saving the soul. But it's, it's the same work of redemption. When Jesus paid for our, our sins, he paid for our healing. Is that right? If he healed any man at any time through the journey of life, let it be in the days of Jesus. The apostles, the prophets, wherever it was, when the same conditions is met, he's got to do it again. That's right. He doesn't change. Man changes. Time changes. Ages changes. Dispensation changes. But God remains the same. He's perfect. What a hope that ought to give to sick people. Amen. If he ever healed a person, he's got to do it again when the same conditions are met. If he, he ever, ever saved a man, he's got to do it on the same grounds. He did it at the first time. That's why your eternal prescription goes all the way back to Acts 2.38. Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you ever filled a man with the Holy Ghost, you've got to do it on the same grounds he did it the first time. This is where Brother Branham's little nephew would come to him and say, Brother Branham, I'm having dreams and everything, and I'm lost. And, and he said, he called his name, and he said, Son, you know, you, 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 there's only one hope for you. No Mary, Hail Marys will do it. No church joinings will do it. You've got to come the same way of Acts 2.38. This day, this scripture's fulfilled. He's still pointing them right back to the eternal prescription. Amen. If he ever filled a man with the Holy Ghost, he's got to do it on the same grounds. He did it the first time. 
If you ever raised a man up from the grave, he's got to do it the second time or every other time on the same principle. He doesn't change. Oh, what a hope that gives me. What is it? Not a some man made to the theory, something that groups of men have come together, but his unchangeable word. You say, is it the truth? Oh, he said, let every man's word be a lie and mine be true. Heavens and earth will pass away, but my word shall not fail. All scripture is given for inspiration, therefore it's good and profitable for doctrine. And remember that all scripture will be fulfilled, every bit of it. So it's simple. There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. All the faith in the world will not remit sins. It is blood that remits sins. But of course, a pardon must be received by faith. And the blood is applied by faith. Notice, he again, proving his word, he decided in the Garden of Eden... He would save, how he would save man through the shed blood of an innocent one. He's never changed it. We try to change it through education, through towers of Babel, through great cities and everything like that. We try to change it, but it don't work. We try to change it by educating the world to him. We try to change it by denomination of people. It never worked. Only one place God will meet you to worship is under the blood. Your denominations will split you up, but under the blood, you're the same. He never changes. Now, if he's the unchangeable high priest and the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's got to keep that word. Not because we said he did, but because he said he would. Amen. Now, again, you know, he, he goes right on while I'm praying. Now, and he would talk about that blood being between him and, and God. And it was the blood that made him perfect. He said, well, we can do without the blood today. You better not. One moment on the, oh, well, without the blood, you're, you're gone. You're finished. He says here, he said, now, when I'm praying, God don't see me. He just hears my voice through the blood of Jesus. He don't see me. He hears my voice. And that blood, this is, this is 1964 after the seals. And that blood there is to represent what I ask. This, he, he hears my voice, but he sees only the blood. Oh, that ought to make you shout. Amen. What, what are we saying? When you talk, that blood speaks. When you pray, he, he looks and he sees it's the blood interceding. It's not you just a mere man making a prayer. It's the blood interceding on your behalf. And God can't turn down the blood of his own son. It's the purchase price. This is why Brother Branham told you when you pray, you present your token with your prayer. Because the token is the Holy Ghost, which is the, which is the sign that the blood has been applied. It's the life of the blood. 
We do not have a bloodless religion because we got the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the life of the blood. And when you have the Holy Ghost, you have the blood. So what are you doing? You're praying through the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's not you speaking anymore. Oh, somebody help me preach. When you go to praying, it ain't you speaking anymore. It's the Holy Ghost speaking. You're calling on God and God's moving on your behalf. And we know this. If we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. And his will is his word. He wants to heal. He wants to deliver. He wants to answer your prayer. You want the Holy Ghost? He wants to give you the Holy Ghost. You're sick, you need healing. He wants to heal you. You say, well, I, I, I'm 80 years old. Doesn't matter. You might be past 90, but the Holy Ghost will send a, a servant of his all the way across, eat the tires off of a car, and get over there to a man past 90 and raise him up from the, from the sick bed to, and heal him. So I'll shake your hand in front of the Blue Boar restaurant. Amen. You say, I'm too old to be healed, Brother Tim. Well, Brother Branham said, Abraham was past a hundred. And he said, God said, I'm El Shaddai. He said, you're my child. You, to me, I'm the eternal one and you're just a baby. Looking at a lot of old babies. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at yourself like the way God looks at you. You're not all that old. You're a baby. In the sight of eternity, you're just an infant. Amen. So nurse on the breast of God. Draw yourself up close. Amen. Nurse from the Old Testament. I am the Lord God that healeth all of thy diseases. Amen. He was wounded for my transgressions. By his stripes I was healed. Hallelujah. Amen. Get full on that side. Reach over here and draw a promise from the other side. Glory to God. Amen. If they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. In my name, you shall cast out devils. You'll speak with new tongues. If you drink any deadly thing, oh, you say I'm worried about all the chemicals. If you drink any deadly thing, it'll not harm you. Oh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. That rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oh, hallelujah, while there's enemies all around, you'll sit down at a table and eat. Eat of that good word of God. Amen, renew your strength. For cause the Lord's mighty in battle. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, when I'm praying, God don't see me. He hears my voice through the blood of Jesus. He just hears my voice. He don't see me. He hears my voice, and that blood is there to present, to represent what I ask. Then he hears my voice, but he sees only the blood. He don't see me, so I can't be dirty when I'm under the blood. The blood cleanses. He's the bumper between me and God. And promise, ask the Father anything, I'll do it. You, do you believe that has to be true? Now, this, this quote meets all the criteria. It was preached after the seals, and it was preached in the tabernacle. And he wasn't preaching to denomination. He's preaching to his followers. It meets all the criteria. 
You have no reason to doubt it. Amen. There's a blood bumper for you and for me. Oh, hallelujah. The blood cleanses. The spirit is a token that the blood has been applied. This is from, this now is from the token message. The spirit is the token that the blood has been applied. Until the blood is applied, the spirit cannot come. But when the blood is applied, then the spirit is the token, the sign, sending it back to you that your faith in the blood has been accepted and your fare is paid. Your fare is paid. It's all over. The case is closed. You're a Christian. You're a believer. Christ is in you, and you're in Christ. Amen. So now how are we the blood of Christ? Well, you know that. We don't have the chemistry of the blood today. Amen. We have the life that was in the blood. Amen. The chemistry went back into the ground and maybe was absorbed into the wood of the cross or into the ground. I, I don't know where all it went. Maybe some of it spilled up on his garments. Maybe it went in a hundred different places. We don't know where the chemistry went, but we know where the life went. Because the life that was in the blood raised him up on the third day. Amen. And ascended into glory. And here he came back. The life of the blood came back on the day of Pentecost to buy that 121st initial one to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So that makes every born again believer of every age the blood by the Spirit. They were in the upper room. They were the blood by the Spirit. Today, we are the blood by the Spirit. Now, Brother Brandon said the church is the blood of Christ by the Spirit because the life is in the blood. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost that baptizes us into his body that recognizes only his body, his flesh, his word. Now I'm going to read you something from the seventh seal. Now we, we've come from God and simplicity, and we're here now on the last seal. Even question and answers has already been done. Come to the last sermon, seventh seal. And Brother Brandon said, I thank God for his word. I thank him for Jesus Christ. For without... Sending him for the perpetuation of our sins, we'd all be in a big muck of sin with no hope. But by his grace, his blood cleanses, which is present tense, all sins. Just like the drop of ink in a bucket of Clorox, you'll never find the ink again. And when our sins are confessed... It is put in the blood of Jesus Christ. They'll never be known again. God forgets them. They never was even done. And as long as that sacrifice, oh, listen now, seventh seal. And as long as that sacrifice is laying there in an atonement for us, then that's all. That's it. We're not sinners no more. We're Christians by the grace of God. 
Hallelujah. Now you may have wondered about some of the things that he said, but he comes right down the end and, and sums it all up. And he says that that sacrifice is laying there as an atonement for us. And then he would prove it time and time again by invoking the high priest. And the theme, the theme throughout the seals was that we have a blood that is a bleach for sin that will change every chemistry of it, of sin, every molecule of it, and send it back through the working of that bleach until it lands back on the head of your accuser. Hallelujah. Amen. What sins are you talking about? Hallelujah. We've dipped them in the bleach. And they ain't no more. And they've been changed every, every molecule of it until it lays on the accuser. And he will go to hell, not you. And he will be punished, not you. Why? Because he took my punishment vicariously on the cross. That's the atonement, the original atonement. Brother Branham would teach this principle. Now he's sitting here in counseling. Now you think he, he would lie to people when he's counseling? 1964, just before he preaches the masterpiece. On an interview a few moments ago, I speak into a person in the room that's present now, Sister Georgie Bruce. You can, you can go and listen to her, uh, her recorded testimony, or, or not testimony, with Brother Brandon speaking to her. And she said, but Brother Branham, I have so many things that I know that's wrong. And he said, a godly little woman. Wouldn't you like a prophet to say that about you? That's what God says about you. Amen. There's no one greater than Jesus. And I said, but look, sister, don't look at yourself. It's just what your desire is and what you try to do. And if you really love the Lord, you try to serve him with all your heart. But since the seals is open, there's no more mercy and there's no more grace and the lamb has left the seat of intercessory and now that ain't what he said. You try to serve him with all your heart. How many is there? How many is there? That's your testimony this morning. You try to serve him with all your heart and then all your mistakes. How many can say, but I made so many. And all your mistakes is hid. In the blood of the Lord Jesus. Oh, you say, Brother Tim, I've got a lot of faults. Hide them in the blood. Plunge them in the blood. Oh, I see a cleansing stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. Amen. It's waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. Hallelujah. 
when those condemnation comes, you say, I sin, there's no use to pray. And that's what Satan says. No use to pray. I look away to Jesus. And he tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood. Thank God for the blood. The message brought you back to the original atonement. Are you with me now? Amen. You say, not me, Brother Tim. I'll tell you what now. I'll tell you, I don't need no blood. Mm, man, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm mature and perfect and hallelujah, I'm on my way to heaven. I, 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 we've outgrown this bleedy sacrifice. We don't need nobody up there like that. Well, here's what Brother Branham said. Now, you, you know what? You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many false prophets preach that kind of nonsense. Have you ever seen such a time of such arrogance? 63, after the seals. Any man is subject to mistakes. Now, Christian does not willfully sin. But he does make mistakes. You made a mistake this morning when you didn't really pray. You didn't do a job. Jesus said we should often pray. That's sin. Sin of omission. Brother Brandon would often pray, God forgive me of my unbelief. That's where we all get faced with things and we wobble and wonder and vacillate Brother Brandon would have to pray himself after seeing millions, hundreds, millions, thousands, whatever number, multitude without number of miracles and would still have to wrestle with unbelief. Satan would come to him and say, you ain't nothing but a fake. And these miracles you're talking about isn't real. And Brother Brandon said, I listened to him for a little bit. And he said, after a while, I got tired of him. And he said, Satan, I resent you coming. Now you get out of here in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said, he fled from my room. And he said, after that, here come a real sweet spirit in the room. And it said to me, don't never fear to go anywhere or do anything for the never failing presence of Jesus Christ is with you wherever you go. I say, hallelujah. What a consolation. He will never leave us or forsake us. In the darkness of the midnight, I hear Satan come around. You're not winning the battle. You're just losing ground. But then I hear a voice saying, pick up your sword. Amen. Any man is subject to mistakes. He's subject to error because he's human. He's subject to the violation of God's law. And remember, offended one point, you're guilty of all of them. That's Bible. He is subject 
to many things because Satan tempts him. And he's just a human being. And if God, oh listen this. And if God ever lifted his hands, he would fall. That's all. And I've heard people say, oh, Satan can't do that. Yes, you just let God lift his hand one time and watch what happens. I constantly please, God don't send him. Have mercy on me. Keep him away from me. I need God's mercy. And we all need that. Brother, it ain't just out there that needs God's mercy. It's all of us in here that needs God's mercy. And I didn't just need it at the altar when I got saved. I need it every day when I'm saved. I need it today. I need it tomorrow. I need it the next day. I need mercy. Is mercy over? Mercy, no. Don't ever think that. Satan's Eden, Brother Branham says. This one meets the criteria too. 65, Jeffersonville. Oh God, help us to be pure in the sight of you, Lord. No matter what man thinks about us, what other people say. Lord, let our conversations be holy. Let it be seasoned with God's word. So seasonable, Lord. That there's no guile. That means no dishonesty found in us. While we plead in our own mistakes that the blood of Jesus Christ will stand between us and God. That he'll look down upon us through the blood of Jesus. Not upon our own righteousness or who we are or what we've done. But upon his merits alone. Aren't you glad for the blood? Amen. Now then, Brother Branham had some of the same thoughts you do. He had a friend, a brother, supporter in his meeting, a young preacher. He got under a roof. I guess he was working the sidewall, mashed him down underneath that, and they said he was going to die. His liver was bursted. His spleen was knocked out of place. Tons had fallen on him. Brother Branham was concerned about this, and he said, you know, I talked to my wife at breakfast. He said, you know what, you, you, wife, you know, if Jesus was here, you know what he would do. When he sponsored me, he said, I, I believe that word, and he was sponsoring Christ. And I said, this is a trick of the devil. I just want you to realize, things that are happening to you are trick of the devil. And I said, if Jesus was here, he'd go lay his holy hands upon him, and that boy would get well. I don't care if his liver is bursted, he would get well because Jesus would walk in there knowing exactly who he was. He knew his calling, and the scriptures was right, vindicated in him. He knew who he was, not a shadow of doubt. He'd lay hands upon him and say, son, be well, and walk out there. And I'd said, there ain't enough devils in hell to kill that boy. He would get well. But you see, honey, he was Jesus. The holy hands of God. And I was, I'm a sinner. I was born sexual birth. My father mother were both sinners. I'm just a no good nothing. 
And many times that's the way we look at ourselves. You're not a no good nothing. You're the purchased of his blood. There was an old man one time, story of an old man that got run over. He was, he was a tr- kind of a tramp, really poor, lived in a little poor place, but he was a Christian. You know, Christians ain't always rich. We go, Paul said, sometimes I'm in need of want, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in need of food, I'm in need of shelter, I'm in need, well, there's many times. God doesn't make us all the same. Man looks down upon them, bases man's worth by his wealth, by his clothes. God looks at the heart. And this old man, had, he, he had he'd been a street preacher and preached for years and years on the street, passed out tracks. Somebody, some young people carelessly coming by, turned a corner too fast and hit him. They picked him up. Thought he was dead. Took him into the hospital. And said, you know, he's an old man. The doctors were talking among themselves. Said, listen, he, he ain't worth much. He's just that tramp on the street there. And we, you know, his life's just about over with anyway. And, you know, he's just a poor boy. He couldn't pay. And he said, uh, you know, what we, what we do is we just kind of you know, just do the minimal we can for him because uh, he's not worth fixing up. Well, the old man wasn't as dead as he thought he was. He, he spoke up and said, well, Sirs, you may not think I'm worth much, but I'm worth the purchased blood of Jesus Christ. Because my Lord went to Calvary and he paid his and gave his own blood for me. And I'm worth a whole lot more than what you think I am. I think sometimes you need to remind the devil. You're worth. You're worth something to him. Because he gave his whole life for you. Said, you know, but you know. What if a, the Lord would just give me a vision and send me down there, that, then that would be different. So I'd go down there and lay my hands on him. He'd come out of that bed if he'd give me a vision. So then I got to thinking. After all, it, if it was a vision, what was it? It was the same dirty hands on him. Same man praying for him. Same dirty hands. Then I began to think, I'm his representative then God doesn't see me. That blood of that righteous one lays up there on the altar. It makes intercessions for me. He is my sufficiency. He is my prayer. He is my life. The only thing that made me put my hand on him with faith is because I had faith in the vision. And without the vision, the same faith would do the same thing. So I can recognize, reckon myself nothing and reckon him my all in all. He is my life. He's my commissioner. No denomination sent me. He sent me. Hallelujah. I go in his name. I lay my hands upon him. I walk down there and laid hands on that boy. Oh, Hallelujah. Amen. Laid hands upon that boy. And he said that night he was in the meeting. 
Oh, yes, he is that fountain. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm a stinker. I'm a renegade. Every one of us are. But before God, we're perfect. Be therefore perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How can you be? Because a perfect one represents us there. That fountain is there every day fresh. Not some stagnated something but fresh every day that washes away all my sins. He is that fountain. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that we have the resources of that fountain? Aren't you glad that he said, whoever blesses me will be blessed and whoever curses me will be cursed. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that we have the right, amen, as a believer there, not putting our unworthy hands, but all but taken because he made us worthy by his blood and bless my brother in his name. Hallelujah. That's his promise. Why? He heard me through the blood. He didn't hear me as a mere man, but he heard me through the blood. And he cannot turn down the blood. I'm glad for that. Oh, you say, well, now, now, not anymore, Brother Tim. You know, Christ is no longer an intercessor, you know. Well, Brother Branham said, he took the book of redemption in his hand. The bloody lamb stands on the altar of sacrifice. Where's this preached? It reaches a criteria pretty good. Sixth seal. Then, how dare any man, anybody to say that Mary or Joseph or any other mortal could be an intercessor? You cannot intercess unless there's blood there. Yes, sir, there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. And that's what the Scripture said. There he stands, and until the last soul has been redeemed, and then he comes forth to claim what he has redeemed. When? When the last soul has been redeemed. Amen. Now, then he says, now I've always taught that in the mouth, this quote continues, then the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established in the scripture. Just like you can't take one scripture and prove nothing, unless there's something else goes with it. See, I can take one scripture and say, Judas went and hung himself. Take another and say, you go do the same. But you see, it won't blend with the rest of it. And when we go and cherry pick our quotes and make it something that the rest of the word doesn't say, Amen. What are we doing? We're doing exactly what he said. We, you know, we, we, are, we are cherry picking it where that Judas, make it where? Well, Judas went and hung himself. Go thou and do thou likewise. Putting your scriptures together like that. Brother, we are to rightly divide the word of truth. And when you rightly divide it, we find out we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We find out that there's a blood, amen, that there is a lamb that paid redemption's price. Amen. We find out, amen, that cold creeds can never bring us to a real harvest. We've got to have a church that's washed in the blood of the lamb. 
Amen. We got to understand that we have been called back to the original atonement. And standing there under that blood, we have been justified. You say, Brother Tim, you say, we don't need the blood anymore because we're now justified. We never did it in the first place. Yes, Brother Bradham did say, did say that he took away your shame and he put it in the sea of his forgetfulness. By the washing of the water of the word and the blood of life. So don't tell me you can be virtuous without the blood. That's why we're virtuous this morning. Amen. That's why we have an atonement. is because there's a crimson stream of blood. Because there's a provision made at Calvary. And because through that blood we can get any prayer answered anytime. Amen. When we pray, he only sees the blood. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Let the musicians come. <laughs> you are the pure, virtuous, sinless bride of the Son and living God. Every man and woman that's born of the Spirit of God and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and believes every word stands as though you never sinned at the first place. You are perfect. The blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful? Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for that crimson blood. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you're here with us always. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that we're perfect. That we've come back to the original atonement. Oh, man was to try to make it somewhere you know, just a Baptist faith, just a Baptist profession, just a claim to believe. But, oh, church, the blood is an experience from Calvary. It's the coming of the Holy Ghost in your life. It's the lighting of your candle. You can never be the same. And when you can touch it, nothing else matters. Let, let your life touch him today. Reach out. Reach out to him. Amen. Father, we speak today, Lord. We invite your presence. We just ask, Lord, you'll minister to hearts and lives. Lord, that you'll just help us, oh God, to realize who we are as sons. That we're the people of the book. And we've returned to the land of the book to come back to the original atonement. And the unveiling of God has revealed to us Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Take these words, Lord. Take every person here and wash us in your blood. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Stand together with me, sister. Come, come sing. Amen. I see a crimson stream of blood. Just want to sing that course of it. Sister Jessica gets ready to sing. Amen. Well, I can see a crimson stream of blood, and it flows from Calvary. Aren't you glad for it? It's ways which reach the throne of God. 
Oh, mm-hmm. 